Welcome to the Positive Vibe Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bonick, and we got a special guest for you this week, PB Nation. I've had the pleasure of knowing this guy since his college days. He's coming off the best year of his MLB career. Man, I'm excited for this one. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to Episode 7 with Tampa Bay Rays infielder Taylor Walls. Taylor, say what up to PB Nation. How's it going? Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, we've known each other for quite a while now. Um, you know, I, I played a lot of ball at Florida State, and uh, you were there too, so we, you know, established that relationship there. But uh, yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, man, for sure. So you're born in Cordial, Georgia. You know, how was life growing up in Georgia? Um, I guess in it's South Georgia. It's about two hours south of Atlanta, so uh, not a whole lot. Um, we really just have the interstate I-75 running right through the middle, so that brings a lot of traffic. But other than that, I mean, it's kind of pretty rural. Um, you, you know everybody, I guess. Uh, you, you know, your friends are just, you know, a, a small drive away. You know everybody, at, you know, everybody at your school you know personally. So it's like, you know, being able to establish a lot of relationships with people, um, you know, it, it's – anything like it, like small to a, a small town you would think of. Um, and it was nice, especially, I feel like, uh, you realize that those things are taken for granted a lot when you, you know, start to, I guess, get on a bigger platform, move to bigger areas. Like I'm in Tallahassee now and that's relatively a small town to be honest, but I mean, just compared to theirs, like you, you really, you don't appreciate the simple relationships and connections you have with everybody around you. Um, mm-hmm. when you're in the moment like that, especially, and you realize that when you start, you know, moving up and, and going to bigger places. For sure. So was it always baseball for you or did you play any other sports growing up? No. So I, I tried to play as many sports as possible, to be honest. Um, I, I was, I, I got bored very, very easily, very quickly. And I was, it was one of those things where, I had I had multiple different friend groups. I had you know the the baseball guys that we all hung out with, played travel ball together, played school ball together, and then I would have uh, buddies that I played basketball with. So they were always coming over to the house. We were playing basketball. So when I was younger, you know, I, I, it was primarily football and baseball. And then as I got into like middle school, we had some dumb restrictions on you couldn't play baseball until you were like in the seventh grade. And our middle school was sixth, seventh, eighth. So sixth grade, I played like. I played like tennis. I bounced around and played other sports just because I was so bored. And my parents were like, you're not about to just come home and do nothing. So you're <laughs> going to do something. So you can either find a job somewhere or you can go play another sport. And so uh, I played tennis, picked it up. And then I didn't really start playing basketball. I kind of dropped football for basketball when really in middle school, like seventh grade. I just, I went out for football, sixth, seventh, sixth grade, seventh grade, really didn't love it. Like it was just like, I wasn't, I wasn't playing like we were just running our tails off for no reason. And I was like, this sucks, dude. I like, I, I like this. Is, there's, there's nothing fun about this at all. This is not pick up football in the front yard, seven on seven. This is right. like, yeah, this is not entertaining to me at all. So seventh grade started, I picked up uh, basketball and football's place and love basketball. I probably, I probably catered towards basketball more than I did baseball from that oh, wow. year until my junior year in, in high school, my senior year, I decided not to play. I ended up, like rolling my ankle pretty bad. And I was like, dude, I, I need to just, you know, take it easy, try to just develop as much as I can baseball wise and, and look on in, in the college. But I picked up basketball then and loved it, dude. So yeah, I played pretty much every sport that I could get my hands on and that I knew people that were playing as well. 
That's awesome. I bet you, you know, that tennis, the hand-eye coordination, like all that stuff probably played in for sure. Oh, yeah. I Honestly, like, so I gave a lot of lessons when I, right when I got into pro ball and, you know, I was having to grind through it the first couple of years and, try, and off-season giving lessons to kids back home. And parents would always ask me, you know, like stuff, like whether it was training stuff, stuff like that. I was like, dude, to be honest, like play tennis. I don't know. Tennis and basketball are the two sports that I would recommend. Maybe it's more position specific for me being a middle infielder and you have to be very agile and, and, you know, change of direction is is very important. But tennis and basketball, you use almost every type of athletic movement possible. You jump, you run, you sprint, you change direction. You know, it's very reactionary. You play both sides of the ball that require multiple different facets. You you have – an offensive side that's more technique and skill development. You have a defensive side that's very reactionary and, and more focused on the athletic side of it. So, uh, yeah, I found basketball and tennis. I, I didn't. Play, I only played tennis one year, and I was and I was very young. But I found that relationship between tennis and basketball very, um, very close. And so when I picked up basketball, I felt like that put me head and shoulders above like other people just because of the athleticism I gained playing that. Wow, that's legit. So when did you so as far as baseball, you know, when did you first start switch hitting? I always so when I was younger I always did it. And me and my dad would take me to the fields and we would hit all the time, you know, a couple times a week whenever he could find time off work. And it was one of those things where I was really good right handed and so he was like, you know, turn around and hit left handed, let's just see what happens. And then I got you know, I, I picked it up. I try to, ma- for some reason, I get very consumed with things that I pick up right away. And I try to, ma- I'll drop everything I'm doing to master that. It could take a week, a month. And then a lot of times when I master it, I'm over it. And I try to move on to the next thing. So I picked up, I, that's kind of this, how it went left-handed. I started hitting left-handed. I'd hit a ball off the tee right-handed instead of back swinging to get back ready right-handed. I just switched my hands and hit it left-handed. And, uh, Every time we would go to the ball field, my dad was like, all right, we're going to try to switch hit for every single bucket you hit right-handed, you're going to have to turn around and hit left-handed. And I'm like, okay. And then that it became a thing to where if we were up big or, you know, down big in a game and a travel ball tournament, I would turn around and hit left-handed. Um, but that was pretty much it until high school. In high school, he kind of sat me down and we had the conversation of if you're going to try to switch hit, which I think he, or he thought that I had a really good chance of doing, then we need to like be pretty serious and take it pretty much based on if the pitcher's righty, hit lefty. If he's lefty, hit righty. And so basically my freshman year in high school was when I like really bared down and and started switch hitting pretty much religiously based off the pitcher. Yeah, that's that's one of the most impressive things to me, you know what I mean? And even hearing that hearing that story, to go from that to all of a sudden switch hitting in the big leagues, you know what I mean? That's that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Um that's that's yeah. impressive, man. So you go on to play, you know, your college days at Florida State University. Um, you know, what was that experience like playing at Florida State? Uh, it was awesome. Um, you know, three of the best years that I've ever had. I met my wife there. Uh, playing under 11 was awesome. Um, the, the relationships you created with your teammates uh, and everybody just around that program in general, even, you know, from alumni, from boosters, uh, you know, it's a it's a true like people I feel like it's so cliche people always say you know it's a brotherhood or stuff like that but it really feels like I mean I know a lot of people today that are alumni from there that I probably have more relationships with alumni or people that played there before me than I do team former teammates so it's like mm-hmm. and 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 especially living in Tallahassee now there's I have a lot of relationships probably because of that too but 
Yeah, I mean, it's it was awesome. My my actual years there were, you know, they were up and down. My my first year was pretty rough, um, but I was able to stay on the field pretty much every game. So uh, I think that experience helped me. My next year was my best year, um, and and then the following year after that was I still had a decent year, but I think some of the pressure of getting drafted and you know just being super competitive and trying to find a way to to be better than I was the year before. Where looking back now, it was probably pretty hard to do. But, uh, yeah, man, I enjoyed it. It was fun. The, everything outside of baseball was awesome. The university is awesome. I mean, there's nothing like the the, 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 facility, the the field we have here is, you know, second to none. So uh, And they do such a good job of taking care of you. So, yeah, it was great. If you were to think back on one, you know, memory specifically, you know, on the field, you know, what was your best memory at Florida State? Hmm. I mean, I definitely would have to say it was clinching and going to Omaha. Um, I think, I think just, I wouldn't say it was one specific moment, like one split second that I that I can recall that was the best. But I think just the super regional to where we went, we lost the very first game to I think it was like Tennessee Tech or some team that we shouldn't have lost to at the time, and uh, having to having to battle and grind all the way back. That was actually in regionals. We had to grind all the way back and. Um, and end up winning it. We were down. We were down to our last hitter. I don't. Dylan Busby was the batter. I was on first. I walked. There were two outs. We were down one. He hits the ball off the center field wall with like in a two-two count, and I score from first to tie it up. And then we ended up winning that game. So I mean, we were literally a strike away from being balanced and out. And uh, he ties the game. We come back win the next day. Will Zerzal throws a nine-inning complete game. I can't remember if he gave up a run or not, but it was unreal. He's never done that in his life. And uh, <laughs> wow, we go we go on to the supers, and it's kind of the same thing. I have one of the best games, the second game of our super regional. We get delayed, and then that was like the first career game where I've ever hit a, a home run from both sides of the plate. And so, uh, and so that was just just that like time frame from regionals to super regionals. Just how close everybody came together, how the, our backs were to the wall, and we felt like you know we never felt out of it, even though looking back now, we were so close to being out of it. Um, it, it was, it was sick. So you ended up going to Omaha that year? Yeah, that was in 17. We ended up, we played Sam Houston state in the super regional and, uh, we ended up winning and going to Omaha. We lost, we ended up losing in Omaha. I think we, we had LSU beat the first game, made like two or three mistakes on the same play in like the mm-hmm. top or bottom of the eight. So they ended up taking the lead. We were winning the entire game. We were winning, so they ended up winning the first game. They came back. We beat, I think, Cal State Fullerton the second game, and then LSU beat us again the, the following day. So we got bounced pretty early there, though. But that was, was a that, sick that experience. experience. Yeah, that had to be crazy, huh? Man, dude, it's I've never seen. I would never guess that just a town that has it seems like has zero baseball like involved in that city at all until the world series and then everybody just comes it comes out for it it's like everybody's just like hibernating until the world series happens and then the town just explodes it's sick yeah that's that's got to be unbelievable man um especially you know coming from small town georgia you know what i mean to all of a sudden playing on stages like right. that you know that's got that's surreal yes it was you know, sick. so undrafted out of high school you know was that a, a big motivating factor for you obviously that chip on your shoulder you know going into your time at Florida State not really um I mean where I'm from is you don't even think about getting drafted like mm-hmm. drafted was drafted was never even an idea for me in high school like okay. I'd never even entertained that it was 
kind of growing up where I was at, it was like uh, the biggest stage you could possibly go was Division One. Like everybody's, like, I'm gonna go D one. I'm going D one. Like that's the only thing mm-hmm. people talked about. Nobody talked about getting drafted or going to the NFL, to the MLB, to the NBA. No, no one even considered that. That was like not even in the cards at all. So uh, mm-hmm. I was never invited to like, I would do the perfect game events, like the showcases, stuff like that, that, you know, as long as you pay 500 bucks, anybody could do. But <laughs> um, I was never invited to like, you know, the professional scout like events or like, you know, any East coast pro, I think is one of them. Like none of those type of events I was invited to. And so like, I never took it as like, you know, like a slap to the face, but it was always mm-hmm. more of like, I'd never even considered that being an option to begin with. So, um, right. <clears throat> just getting, I got an offer from the, from UGA and FSU the same day when I, I want to say it was probably my sophomore or junior year. And to me, I had like, not that I had made it, but that was like, that was what mm-hmm. everybody had set out to accomplish where I'm from pretty much. Right. And so pretty much at that point, I didn't really even think that there was anything beyond that. Like I was like, I was, good like I was like this is exactly and I didn't quit working because of it but it was more of like I had accomplished what I thought was the only thing you the highest achievement of accomplishment you could have at that level and so yeah I didn't even entertain it until really even in college I started having the thought like dang if I play good here I could get drafted but then my freshman year I played so bad I was like two I batted just over 200 with like four extra base hits and I started every single game and uh, and I and, and I made probably over twenty errors defensively. So it was like I didn't have. I remember my mindset going into my sophomore year in college was this is like this is the end of my career and like I'm I'm just gonna go out have fun. Whatever happens happens. Like I'm not getting drafted at all. Like pretty much. And then I end up having the best career, the best year I've ever had, and things change. Yeah, absolutely, man. I just want to tell this real story before we transition into pro ball. Um, so I was in Tallahassee and I remember one night I went to hit in the cages with Danny De La Calle and we get there and you're hitting before we got there and you're hitting in there by yourself. It was like a Friday night, but Friday or Saturday night and you're in there hitting by yourself. And you know, we did our thing. We hit for a while and then we leave. You're still hitting. You were still there hitting. And I think Mm -hmm. that's like, that was one of the biggest things I took away from you was just how hard of a worker you were. And just um, that was always very impressive to me because everyone else is worried about going out, that kind of thing. And you were in there by yourself right. in the cages. No coach, no players were with you at all. And you were just hitting, hitting, hitting. Um, that was always something I really took took away from, you know, seeing you. That was the first time I ever met you that day. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. That's, uh, I don't know. I I've, I feel like people have already always like came to me and said stuff like that. And I've just kind of shrugged it off because I feel like I'm honestly at the point now to where – I'm being told my work work ethic is almost like a weakness rather than a strength right now for me. And that was kind of, that's kind of been preached to me my entire professional career is like, dude, you, it's 162 game season. You can't, I, I'm used to, if, if there's a problem, work it out, go in there and work as hard as you need to work to figure it out. It's like, if something feels wrong with your swing or you feel like your swing's not there, go hit until it feels right. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. but now it's like everybody has been preaching 162 games. Like your body needs to, to rest. You're overworking, which I, I think there is some truth to that, but like, it's crazy that what I feel like is one of the primary things that got me to the position I'm at is like slowly now starting to become a weakness of mine. That's kind of, we can get into that later, but yeah, it's funny you said that. Yeah, that's, that's legit. Um, 
All right, so drafted in the third round by the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, let's hear your draft day story. You know, what do you remember from that day? Um, it was kind of a whirlwind. My parents were – we were in Tallahassee. We were actually – it was in between the Super Regionals and the World Series. So we had clinched the Super Regionals. I was on a you know, extreme high. We were actually having a practice – here in Tallahassee before we flew out and um, draft day was there. It was the second day. Um, I knew I was getting taken that day, but I just didn't know, know where to who. And it was basically like we were practicing and while the draft was going on. So like I was hitting on the field knowing that the draft was going on, but not sure if I was getting taken. And then as I come inside to go into the locker room, I hear like people hooping and hollering down the coming from like where our training room is to the locker room. And they were just like, T-Dubs, T-Dubs, you're going to the Rays. And so I didn't even know. Like, that's basically my introduction to, hey, you just got drafted. So I checked my phone, of course, wow. and find out it's, find out it's real. Um, my parent, my mom and dad are, like, sitting in a picnic table in a commons area outside of the Florida State Stadium. So, like, mm-hmm. they're kind of, like, they were there in, in case something happened. They could tell me, but they were also watching the practice. And so it was kind of it was kind of sick. So I got to experience that with my mom, dad um teammates Florida State teammates so it was it was a fun experience it was kind of one of those things I wasn't like sit down in front of a tv or have my phone in my hand wait for somebody to call me it was more of you know I was outside practicing because we had a practice and then everybody was hooping and hollering and that's kind of how they told me that's cool man so just I mean coming from what you just talked about earlier about how you know getting drafted was almost never even a thought it was just about going d1 to all of a sudden come full circle and to get drafted you know so highly um what were the emotions involved with that when you really sit down and reflect about that um I mean I think I was pretty even killed to be honest with you I I Mm-hmm. nothing written I didn't really get super like I was excited but I didn't really get overly excited um my mind my mindset was more so of like it's a big accomplishment to get drafted but that's at this at that point it wasn't where I really wanted to go like just because you get drafted doesn't mean you're going to go to the big leagues or play in the big leagues right. or you know that that's the ultimate dream is to play at that level so it's like it's almost just an avenue to allow you to have a pathway to get there or make the pathway a little easier but so, I mean, it was, I guess I was, I was very thankful, but I also like, wasn't like overly happy. I don't know. It was kind of weird. I, and and part of that is probably also because I never put getting drafted on this pedestal when I was younger. Like it was, and, and because, honest, to be honest, playing in the major leagues was never a goal when I was younger. Like I always knew I was really good. And like, after, you know, having a really good tournament or people telling me, you know, oh, you're going to play you know, division one baseball one day, or you you could play in the big leagues one day. Like I'd always hear that. And I'm like, okay, like I throw it in the back of my head. Like I know I could do that now, but it's like, I never like just went home. I want to play in the big leagues like this, that, and the other. It was kind of more of just, I just like working. That's pretty much it. I like getting up, going to the gym before people were, were awake. I like hitting in the cages when people were out partying. Like for some reason it was just putting myself in those environments to where I felt like I was getting an upper leg on everyone else that's what mm-hmm. kind of drove me. So, and that's what kind of, and, and that's, I almost got a high off of that. Like, it was almost like I, I appreciated beating people, like, like mm-hmm. outperforming people or doing something that I knew others weren't doing. And so when that moment happened, I had not, like, there was really no, I guess, pedestal or there was no like dream of really going to the major league. So when I actually got drafted, there was, I was pretty even killed. Like there was no over excitement, nothing like that. Right. 
on, so going through the minor leagues, you know, when did you, you know, first realize that, you know, you had a real good chance of actually making it to the big leagues? Hold on, my daughter's Special guest appearance. Lydon McLean. Yeah, this is my daughter. Where's mommy? Here, go, 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 mama. Go, 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 go. So, uh, well, I guess, so my first year, I had, I pretty much had the confidence when I got drafted. Um, mm-hmm. Really, after my sophomore, my sophomore year in college gave me the confidence where I knew I could do it. I always knew I could find, I, I, see, that's the thing is like, I never really looked at it as like, I can make it to the major leagues. It was more so of wherever I was at, I can dominate this level type of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was like if I was in low A, if I was in single A, even college ball, it was like when I was actually in the fight, when I was in the box facing the pitching, when I was out there competing with other people, I'm like, dude, I'm better than these guys. I, I'm better than this dude. Even if I wasn't better than him, I always believed I could have been or I could be. So I would mm-hmm. outwork them to prove to myself and everyone else that I could be. So it was never mm-hmm. – like I can play at the big league level. It was more of like, I can be the best player on the field where I'm at now. And then after, and then slow, and it would take me longer. Some, you know, at some, you know, low a, or I didn't really do well in short season, but then when I got to low a, I did really well the whole year. And so it's sometimes some levels took me longer to figure out and really start. I wouldn't say master, but having a lot of success at, or becoming like one of the best players on the field. But I think it was always just the mentality and the mindset and the belief of I can I can be a lot better than what I, I can do a lot better than what I'm doing now and I could be better than every other guy on this field at the level I'm at right. now. And then after once those things once the cards start falling right at that level, you start moving up. And I think just that repetition of mentality everywhere I went just slowly kept propelling me to the next level. Mm-hmm. So in twenty twenty one you got called up to the big leagues. You know, what do you what do you remember from that day, that day you got called up? Man, to be honest, that was probably the most – that moment was night and day, like, different in happiness compared to, like, the draft day. Like, that mm-hmm. – because going th- – when you're – the minor leagues is a grind, dude. It's like, you know, you're eating fruit with flies on it in the locker room before the game. You know, you're sharing <laughs> lockers. With, like, it's it's tough, dude. It's, it's a grind. And here, like, over the, the course of those five to six years – you really like that getting to the big leagues or getting the call starts like really becoming a thing that you're looking forward to or that you hope happens one day. And so I remember being on the, I was actually, I had the day off probably coincidental. They probably knew it was happening. Willie, we found out like I was sitting in the locker room. I wasn't going to take BP that day. My knee was bothering me a little bit. So I was just going to take the day off. I wasn't starting. And in AAA, you know, it's, it's not like the big leagues. There's, if you're not starting, more than likely, there's no chance of you coming in. Like, they're not going to risk you coming in to pinch run in the eighth to win a ball game and then you get hurt. Like, it's just your day off. You're more so on a set schedule. And so I knew I wasn't playing that day, so I was in there getting treatment. I went and started cutting in the spread. And then I'm checking my phone, and I see on Twitter that Willie was traded. Willie Adamas was traded. And I'm like, dang, dude. That like At that point, I knew there was a – really good chance that it, I was going to get the call up. And, uh, but we also had Wander who was there at the time too. So I didn't know like if they were just going to fast track Wander because I knew he was going at some point that year. Um, I didn't know if I was, I felt like I was the next guy in line, but I didn't really know how that would play out. And then, uh, so right after seeing that, I mean, maybe one to two minutes after reading that and like my mind's racing at this point, I'm trying to look at if the Rays have done anything on Twitter and stuff like that. 
And then I get a, my teammates, some of my teammates run in and find me and they're like, Hey, we have a meeting on the mound. And so at this point I knew somebody was getting called up. I just didn't know it was me. And so like, I'm like, I kind of knew it was me, but I didn't want to like fully convince myself and then get, you know, it not be me. And Mm -hmm. now I'm just completely upset and pissed off. Like I also wanted to be genuinely happy for whichever one of my teammates it was, if it wasn't. But when we got out to the mound, I remember uh, Brady Williams was our manager at the time. He gave like a long speech, you know, like a, or kind of like a detailed of, of about me, like my kind of path there, who I was, you know, kind of a pump up in front of the team. And then he told me I was going and I like, I was crying in that moment. My teammates just swore me and we were jumping all up and down on the, on the mound. I think there's a video on Twitter somewhere, but that was a, a, a happy, that like, that's probably genuinely one of the happiest times I've ever been in my life. It was, uh, my parents had actually just drove down that weekend. I had, my daughter was born two, three weeks before that. So it was like, there were so many huge things and events that were taking place in my life around that time to where that kind of like threw the icing on the cake. It was like the co- we had just got out of COVID. We just triple a started a month late. Um, my daughter was born. We had, we started on the road. So I was away for them for like a week or two weeks right after having her just got back to see my family. We were like there for a week or two. And then my mom and dad drove up and they were there. So like, it was like the best case scenario because they were able to help us pack. My dad drove the car down to St. Pete overnight. And so everybody was there for my debut. It was sick. That was one of the the happiest moments I've ever had. That's amazing, man. I love that. So what are, what do you remember from your MLB debut? You hit a double, right? In your debut first, first game. Yeah, I went, so we were facing Robbie Ray and I was, I was actually rooting for him to win the Cy Young that year. Cause I'm like, that'd be even cooler to, to be able to tell people that my yeah, first right. big league hit was off the Cy Young guy or Cy Young winner. And so, yeah, I my first at bat, I faced him. Didn't really think much of him. Like he was just pounding. He was at, at the time he was just hard heater, tried to throw a glove side in and, and he'd throw a, a hard slaughter off of that. It would almost be like a, a cutter or slutter at what they would call it in today's day or now. And, uh, so I was just looking to let it rip, dude. I was like, I'm not taking a pitch. I'm letting it go. And I I end up barreling a ball to center field, lined out the first at bat. The next at bat, I teed off on one that almost got out. Probably the hardest ball I've ever hit opposite field right-handed for a double. And then I end up hitting another double later that game left-handed. So, uh, yeah, it was that was wow. sick. It was, it was in Dunedin, unfortunately, because that was when the COVID stuff was happening. So the Blue Jays were playing in Dunedin at the time. And uh, so it almost felt like a minor league game. That's exactly what it felt mm-hmm. like. But I and but I had like forty, fifty something people there, so it was sick. That's awesome. What were the biggest yeah. like kind of adjustments? You know, going from the minor league grind to all of a sudden, you know, being in the bigs. Um, I mean, there's good and bad. The the good adjustments are all the things outside of baseball that come with playing in the big leagues. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the most noticeable thing would be like spread. To be honest, the food is <laughs> unreal. And the Rays actually do a good job of like feeding you, feeding guys well, even in the minor leagues. But that jump from AAA to the big leagues is ridiculous. Like it's unreal. But um, within inside the game, and I mean all the clubhouse stuff too. But within the game, I mean it's really it's the same game. Just people make fewer mistakes. You know, it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of balls that drop in the out in the gaps in AAA that aren't going to drop. I mean, you got to think you got guys that are either the best defenders, the best hitters, uh, do both of them very well. you got pitchers that have one of the best pitches, you know, in baseball pretty much. Like, if, if you're in the big leagues, you either can command 
stuff very well. You have a lot of pitches, so it's very hard to sit a certain speed and you're always off balance. Or you have just an outlier pitch that pretty much is unhittable, even if you're, they're telling you it's coming. So it's uh, it's kind of just knowing that everybody is is perfect in their own way, and then um, and everything's just a little sharper. You know, pitches pitchers are a little sharper, throw a little harder. Guys, the, the game's faster. You know, I mean, it's that's pretty much it. Once you can try to slow the game down, it's pretty. It ends up coming to be pretty much the same game you've always played just on a bigger stage. But I mean, that's a lot easier said than done for sure. So fast forward to 2023, you were just named a golden glove finalist. Congrats on that. It's amazing. Uh, You guys had one of the most successful seasons in franchise history. You know, what are your biggest takeaways from this year? Um, I mean, I, I feel like this is just like another raise year, to be honest, like as an organization, I feel like, we had some guys get banged up. We had some situations happen that nobody thought were going to happen. Um, but you, we always – it's just kind of the way we've worked the past couple of years. We always just find a way to to put wins together to just come out on top. Um, we fell short in the postseason, which is what we did last year too. So that's, that, you know, is a kind of a punch in the gut. But all in all, man, I think individually it was another learning experience. Um I felt like I didn't play – really, base running was the only thing I felt like I took my game to another level from last year to this year. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I know I'm a lot harder on myself and, and probably think about things, I guess, more unrealistically than they are in reality as far as ne- how negative I think about things. But, uh, I mean, offensively, I may have, like, statistically done better this year, but I also felt like I was pretty stagnant. I felt like there was a lot I left on the table. There were – it was super frustrating because of the goals I had in mind and, and how well I started off to where I felt mm-hmm. like I was just on the right track. And then when everything started, when I started going downhill and everything felt like it was similar to the years before, that was one of the most, the hardest things I had to digest kind of with myself at the end of the year was realizing how well I started, but then how bad I ended up. And then defensively was kind of the same way. I felt like, I mean, I know it, it's kind of ironic that I got nominated for the gold glove, but I felt like personally it was one of my worst years defensively. Um, mm. I felt I was solid at second and third, I guess, but like I felt like when I came back and played short, the just from not playing the position and not really being able to focus on it day in and day out, I felt like my internal clock was a little rushed. I was making mistakes that I usually never make. Um, I wasn't quite as confident as I usually was because I, I knew that those things weren't as precise and perfected as they normally are. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's that's going to be crazy if I did. I don't know when they announced the gold glove thing, but I was thinking about that the other day. The, if I did win it this year, that'd be the year I felt like I played the worst defensively, which is kind of wow. crazy. I guess, I guess and sick too. But yeah, I mean, so all in all, I think it's it was more of a learning experience. It was learning things not to do, you know, what adjustments not to make, um, what thought what thoughts aren't good, and, and where my brain needs to be, and and where it doesn't need to be. But most importantly, like I feel like a lot of those things I've already learned. Um, but making that adjustment is a lot easier said than done. Like I, I knew that coming into the season that I was going to hit some rough patches that there were going to be highs and lows that I was going to have to kind of stick to the people always say like, stick to your process, have a routine that you can always do to kind of keep you even kill. But I mean, when you're, when you're going through the fire and you're walking through it, it's a lot harder said than done to stick to something that you don't have the confidence that's working. And so, and it's right. so easy to try to change that and make an adjustment or, or go down a different road that you feel like may give you a better chance of success. And in reality, it's just hurting you. So, uh, 
yeah, man, I don't know. I could ramble about that stuff on and on. I'm very like in tune <laughs> or I, I'm, I'm very like, I guess in touch with the mental side of it. The, uh, yeah. Like mind controlling, like the thoughts you're having internal, external thoughts, like just how to approach it mentally. I feel like that's where I've, that's where my biggest jump is going to be. If I can ever make that jump or, or figure that out of how to kind of control that. And uh, I feel like that's going to what's kind of take me to the next level. So the past couple of years, that's really been all I've kind of focused on. For sure. With, you know, PV, obviously, um, you know, with the mental health awareness side of it, for sure. A lot of that we, we do, you know, the mental, the negative self-talk and stuff like that. You know, there's so many times mm-hmm. in life, you know, this is, this is definitely a part I want to touch on because I think this relates to everyone. You know, we all have those negative voices in our heads or, you know, sometimes that we don't have that confidence. Um, is there anything that you could kind of share, um, not pertaining a hundred percent to baseball, but just the mind as far as, you know, um, you know, really forcing positivity. Oh man, dude, I could, we could have a conversation about this for hours. Um, (laughs) I mean, yeah, the whole, like to make it very parallel, that was reinforcing small wins, small positives, uh, you know, small battles gained. That was like a really big um, focal point for me in 22 and not this past season, but the year before. I would, and me and Justin Sua is our like processing coach with the race, the best in the business, not even close. Um, and so we were, he was like, dude, I know you don't like, I'm not a big reader. I'm not a big writer. I sucked in English. Like, and I was a math guy. So like, it was very hard for me to do, but he was like, dude, I'm just telling you just start, let's start journaling every day. I'm going to give you three things. I want you to write down like what you did well today what you could could have done better today and how you're going to do better tomorrow. Like just answer those three questions after every single game day, whatever it is. And so like, it was just a, a way to reinforce positivity to, because I'm very, I'm, and I feel like all competitive minds are kind of similar in this way because you have to be in order to be driven to do like, in order to have self accountability and kind of push yourself to go to the next level is you have to, you have to have negative thoughts enter your mind at some point. Everybody does. It's natural. And I think I'm very extreme to that. Like, I mean, like, and and everybody is individually, but you always like you as a person always thinks about things negative in a negative way to a way deeper extent than reality really, you know, perceives them. Right. And so I I would think about the the worst case scenarios of everything. Like, not hitting well, I'm going to get DFA'd, I'm going to get option. And it's like, it's at a time to where realistically looking back, there's no chance they DFA me. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. it's one of those things to where you just think about worst case scenarios 24 seven, or you start yeah. thinking about future events instead of really being focused on the present, what you can control in that moment. So reinforcing the journal, the answering those three questions was a way to try to reiterate positivity to, to be able to just, I guess like, restate the wins that I had day in and day out. So it could be as simple as having a good at bat or swinging at a good pitch or, you know, a best case scenario, barreling a ball to center field, but, or like being ready to hit, like being focused the whole game. Like, so I was really trying, I was really finding out and finding ways to, I guess, expose those small wins to where I could slowly start reprogramming my mind to start thinking positively instead of being so negative. And, uh, and that helped me a lot, but, um, 
I mean, that's that's all that's all this sport is, to be honest. And I think that's how it relates so well. That's how sports relate so well to the real world. Is the 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 harder it's okay to be hard on yourself, but if you're not positive with yourself, if you're not reinforcing positive positivity to yourself, um, you know, whether it's confidence, whether it's you know something to just get back on the horse and keep going the next day, um, you know, eventually you're gonna you're gonna be so consumed in negativity to where you fall and you can't get back up mm-hmm. or you're, you know, you feel like you're just submerged underwater and you have no help. So it's like, and I think I got, I kind of probably got to that spot this year towards the end of the year is it's so hard to stay positive, especially in a sport where failing is routine. And mm-hmm. so it's, that's, that's something that being able to control your mind and, and see the positive outlook on, on situations to the best of your ability and as much as possible, I feel like that's what makes great players in the sport great, and that's what makes successful people outside of the sport in the real world successful is they just have a they have a tendency of whether or not they're not under they don't process the failure the same way or whether they actually have a process of not doing that. I feel like that's all you know individualized, but the the great people that are really good in whatever they do. I feel like they just have that common theme of being able to reinforce positivity and to funnel out the negativity or channel it the right way and use it as motivation. Awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that for sure. So we're about to, you know, wrap this thing up a little bit. I have a couple, you know, a couple comments yet. Um, One thing I always liked about you was your walk-up song game. You know, you first caught my attention with what happened to Virgil then, you know, all my life. And that, the key with that was way before everyone else was doing it. You know what I mean? You had it right away. I want to say it was a couple of days after that song came out. Bam, you were there. Um, yeah. Obviously, you got to keep it fresh. You got to keep, you know, updating them and whatnot. But is there one that sticks out to you that was kind of a favorite for you walking up? Um, Let's see. I mean, I don't know, dude. I go through walkout songs like shoes. <laughs> no, nah, there's not really. I wouldn't say there's one walkout song. I feel like. A lot of people use walkout songs to kind of like send a message to the crowd, even though the crowd's not really listening to the lyrics at all. Like I feel, you know, I feel like the the crowd is like, there's few there's few people that go to the games and they they'll listen. Like okay, like I feel like a lot of players try to like give a message to people through the word, the 15 second clip they have as a walkout when right. people aren't listening. So for me, I always I thought about it differently. I always just wanted something that like regardless of what people in the stands thought or if they even knew what the words were that the guy was saying when they came out of his mouth, I always wanted it to be something that one, I was vibing to currently in the moment. Like if it was something outdated, I wasn't really listening to, then Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't really going to, you know, kind of pump me up or allow me to vibe to it going to the plate. And so I wanted something that was vibey, something that was, that was new, something that was, on repeat on my own playlist. So that's kind of what I always did. And I wanted it right away. Like it's, it's one of those things where like the, all my life song, as soon as I came out, I'm like, dude, I like this, this song resonated with me. And I didn't want to wait three, four weeks. And then, you know, that's the, that's the thing is I don't want to be looked at like I'm somebody that's following what other people are doing. Like it's, it's more so if I can't have it where I, where like, I feel like it's original to myself and I'm just, I'll wait for the next opportunity to do that. So yeah, man. All the songs that I have are usually just things that I'm listening to on the on the drive to the field or in the in the truck, and that are on my playlist that I work out to in the gym that I'm you know I'm listening to before the game. And uh, mm. so yeah, I mean I don't know. I, I feel like I have so many different songs that are in rotation that right that through the walkout song. I don't really know how to how to just pick one. 
For sure, man. That's awesome. So you just had your second child. Congrats on that. You know, has obviously being a parent, you know, that's a blessing. You know, does it put it into perspective that baseball is just a game? Yeah, most definitely. Um, it's, you know, it's so much more. When, before I had kids, it was really, it was only baseball. It was baseball and my wife, pretty much. Other than that, it was what you know, a, a hobby or an activity. I was in golf or you know, video games here and there, but it was everything. I all I had to do was focus on baseball. So you get, which is good and bad. There's good because you feel like you can just. There's never an excuse to not do anything. Like you always have that time and that freedom to go and do something spur of the moment if you feel like you need to do it and you'll help. You think it'll help you prepare, but uh. But having kids, man, it it really puts in, into perspective like what life is about, rather than you know just thinking everything is so about you. Um, you know, my daughter doesn't care if I go over five with five Ks or four for four with four homers. She doesn't. She doesn't know about any of that right now. I mean, she will, but you know, at this point, it's it's like coming home to a dog, dude. They're just wagging their tail. They're they're happy that you're <laughs> home. They're happy. They're happy to see you. And when that happens, as hard as it is to put bad games or bad days, bad weeks, bad uh, series behind you, it really like just speeds that up and allows that to happen. I mean, it's like going through it for two years now, you know, I've had two years that I've considered not very good or I've not been happy with. And uh, every time I come home, like, you know, I have my dog wagging his tail ready to greet me and my daughter's running at me saying, dad, 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 I miss you so much. And I'm like, how, how can you think about 4Ks when that's happening? You know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Like there's still times where I feel like I'm zoned out at the house and I'm thinking, and I'm, you know, pissed off or thinking about what I can do to not have a day like that again. But for the most part, like it doesn't allow me to drown in my sorrows. I have to be dad. She needs a dad. She doesn't need frustrated dad who's thinking about his job and, and isn't, you know, playing with her and really engaged with her and having that connection, the dad daughter connection with her. She needs, she needs that. And so, uh, you know, that allow, that puts it in perspective for me. It, it, it actually helps me a lot and, and gets my mind off the things that I don't need to be thinking about. And, uh, yeah, man, it's awesome. That's awesome, man. Great answer, dude, for sure. All right, so last question. You know, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you doing this. I end every episode with this same question. So here you go. If you can give PV Nation one piece of advice, what would it be? Man, I would say... To be honest, just to, <clears throat> to find your own voice and um, and don't and and stick to it and and continue to to allow your own voice to be the voice that's the loudest. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like throughout my journey, what got me to the position I was at, like you, it's kind of cool because you referenced one of your memories of me was when you and Danny went to hit and I was there hitting by myself. That's kind of how, that's how I was in high school. That's how I was in college. Honestly, that's how I was in pro ball up until I got in the big leagues is I was always very self-reliant. Um, I always, it was just me. Like I had, of course I had people that helped me, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you and yourself, that's who it is. You know, whatever you're setting out trying to do for yourself, there's, there's people that are going to help you, but you're your strongest motivator. You're your strongest supporter. You know, how you think about yourself and and how you push yourself, how you, you know, convince yourself to go harder, to do more than what other people are doing. It all relies within your own voice. And I feel like 
the higher you go, and it's probably contradicting the lower you go too, that voice slowly starts to get drowned out. It slowly starts to get muted. You have more people surrounding you that are trying to help you out of goodwill, but you start consuming yourself with so many others' opinions that you start losing your own opinion of yourself. And uh, Mm. I I feel like that's kind of where I'm at now is I've been on a stage to where not only I know I can do better, but other people around me that genuinely want the best for me know I can do better too, to where all they're trying to do is give me advice or trying to help me. They're trying to allow me to get to the position that myself and them know I can, I can get to. But within doing that, you start losing your own voice and you start really forming into the voices of everybody around you. And I feel like that can hurt you significantly more than can help you. And I feel like if you were to just, whether it's taking time to, you know, meditate, whether it's taking time to just sit by yourself and giving yourself that quiet time day in and day out to, to allow your thoughts to be heard, to allow yourself to reprocess what's going on and how to, how to navigate through it and how to put what you think needs to happen before everybody else's. There's, there's good advice. There's, there's times to where you can lean on people that may have done something you haven't done to guide you in that process and lead you in the right direction, but they can't drive the car. You know, they ha- you, you have to take their advice. You have to get off on the exits they want you to get off of, or they, they may advise you to get off of. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe in what you're doing and you're just a robot to their opinions, then you're never going to be able to drive the car by yourself. So I feel like mm. regardless of how, of how low you go and, and how worse things are or how great you get and how many people around you start telling you what you need to do or what not to do, I feel like you just need to find time or find the ability to just let your voice be heard. Let your opinion be the opinion that dominates and drives the car and tells you where to go and allow everything else around it to just be, you know, signs and billboards that lead you in the right direction. So that's probably the one piece of advice that I'm actually currently experiencing and trying to navigate through myself that I would also give to others. That's awesome, man. Well, Hey Taylor, thanks so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. I wish you nothing but success in the future, man. And, uh, you know, always pulling for you, bro. Keep doing your thing. Thank you, brother. Have a good one. Appreciate it.